computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by my man Tim, aka Cranges McBasketball. And Tim, what a week! Anthony Davis returned finally in the game against the Mavericks, but unfortunately the Lakers dropped both of those to lose the tiebreaker to Dallas, who turned around and gave us a big present with their L to the Kings, kind of giving a nice little pad to the Lakers. So, Tim, today I just kind of wanted to do a catch-up, another catch-up here. Talk about the AD games. What have we seen from Drummond? Ben McLemore is firing and not even thinking twice about it, so... Tim, I just kind of want to open things up with you right here. Are you feeling worried about this team? I guess we've been, you know, getting AD back in the thick of things. And I think there was a stretch uh, last night against Orlando where he kind of looked like himself uh, asserting himself. But are you confident that this this ramp up will get Anthony Davis to to where he needs to be? I think it depends on how you frame it, I, where he needs to be. I, I think he can get back to where he was earlier this year, which I think was in a pretty good spot but not as good as we've seen him be I think if the question is if he can get back to what he was last playoffs I don't think so I don't think there's enough time and what he did and what I think the standard he set for himself that a lot of us have in the back of our minds is that just like out of his mind crazy mid-range shooting which I just don't think is realistic to expect that's just something that, you know, every now and then you're going to get somebody that steps up in that playoff short sample and just puts up some awesome numbers. I don't know if he's going to get to that, but given what he's shown us so far, physically, he looks pretty good. Um, his touch in the post is looking good. I mean, we've seen him hit. I mean, the first like game was was pretty rough, but in this most recent game against Orlando, we saw he had the the post hook working, the post jumper working. He's got the spin move into the step back fadeaway that was working. He had some of the he's coming off of cross screens, down screens. Um, he had the mid range game working a little bit. He had a corner three. He kind of had all of we we got to see him, you know, at least make a shot in a lot of the different ways that he's generally yes. been, some you know, generally as part of his. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was on the offensive boards. He had one play where he was, you know, it took a couple attempts, but he was able to get to the offensive board and then get the put back, a nice strong put back, if I remember correctly. So he, I think, is in a good starting spot. The question is really about how much time's left. And given how compressed the schedule is, we're really only looking at like three weeks at this point. So that, I think, is the biggest challenge because you have to get him – you know, up to his peak performance form because he could have a regular season form. And we've seen LeBron and, and, and him talked about a lot in the past. You go talk to the Cavs folks. And we saw this last year with the Lakers. He has his different stages of the season where he's slowly ramping up to be, you know, 100% like peak LeBron form right now at the end of the season. And we're not going to let we're not going to be able to see him do that because he's coming back even later than AD. But AD is going through that same situation and has missed I believe even more, yeah, even more time than LeBron. So getting AD back to where he needs to be is is really a race against time to me and makes who the Lakers play in the first round matchup 
really important and it makes them not dropping to that sixth seed really important because you don't want to have to go play potentially the Clippers in round one with LeBron and AD not really themselves yet. Um, and I, that may not be the case, but that would be the worry. So there's an urgency from a standing standpoint. There's definitely been a patience in terms of getting these guys back. But once they are back, we need to like it's it's go time. It's go time right now. And you asked me if I was worried about this team. We just barely beat Orlando. And I know it was 11 point win, but that was the least convincing 11 point win where 45 of the 48 minutes the game was in Orlando's grasp um and the Lakers actually started out pretty hot but they came back and so up until the last couple of minutes of that game that wasn't a convincing uh performance and that is a team that was basically a G League roster given who was available to play so if you can't control that team it's hard to see the Lakers being able to control the teams on the schedule upcoming and if you can't do that, it's it starts to get into danger territory in terms of maintaining that fifth seed. So it, it things really need to start clicking into place. I don't completely disagree with the Anthony Davis take here, but I will I will play devil's advocate and see what you think about this. There are a lot of similarities in how this ramp up with Anthony Davis and LeBron have mirrored. Uh, the eight seeding games of the bubble. Now there is a significant important difference in presumably they went into those seeding games healthy, rested mm -hmm. after months off uh, due to the pandemic. So yes, it's not the same, but to me, the Lakers play like dog shit in those eight seeding games, right? I think there's maybe one okay game, but like for the most part, bad missing shots, um, not getting good shots, like discombobulated offense, not locked in, uh, you know, on a string defense the way the team was in the regular season. Now it's yes, it's a lot of the same team, a lot of new guys, but the, the AD LeBron equation of this, that's where I would say maybe there's a, you know, these guys, once they get into that conditioning, I think is the most important thing. Yes, they had eight games, but they were in good condition. They were training and working out and healthy. So does that, you know, factor in is, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be like they were in the bubble, but I'm not worried about LeBron James ramping up maybe with his shooting. I am. And again, the, um, getting the minutes, getting the, you know, in shape part of it. Yes. And it comes with the jumper too, that rhythm, but I'm more worried about AD and Drummond. Like for example, building chemistry on the defensive end. So it's less about like the individual performance of AD's jump shot or getting to the rim or, or physicality, athleticism, all that. And the pure fact that Andre Drummond, they need to be a big piece or they want to be apparently, and as of right now, I don't know whether to make heads or tails of it, Tim, because my eyes tell me play after play that, oh, my God, that was a really good, you know, dig there from Drummond to get the deflection. And then he literally lets Dwight Powell like walk into a dunk when he's guarding him like four feet to the left. And yes, it was kind of in a hedge situation, but like he just expected power to hand off and he never did. I don't know. So. What do you make of the Drummond AD chemistry that you've seen so far? I have seen some possessions where, yes, the big physical bruising imposition of those guys make a difference. And then there's somewhere I look at AD and he's like, 
man, you didn't step up and block this shot right there. Like AD's the first kind of help and the second help comes behind and it's nowhere for Drummond. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Sorry, I set up a lot there. I'm just saying like what to me, it's more about the chemistry than like the individual player, I guess, um, especially with Drummond. I think that's part of it. And I do think that matters. And I'll, I'll touch on that in a sec. But I'm still going to go like AD and LeBron performing peak AD and LeBron levels over specific chemistry especially with a guy like Andre Drummond because I think in specific series and we've talked about this on the past couple pods like against what I think we said Utah would be less of a Drummond series whereas maybe Phoenix we might see him more or I don't know like depending on who you're playing he might have he might be starting and playing a bunch of minutes he might be starting and playing two shifts total he might not be playing Uh, whereas the constant you know minutes volume scoring playmaking is gonna have to come from those two star guys and last playoffs i remember looking just like tracking the uh impact data and in and, and last year we had you know <laughs> r.i.p uh p.i.p.m player impact plus minus jacob goldstein brought it to the uh the wizards um I would track that and, and he would have it for the playoffs. And by the end of the playoffs, LeBron and AD were like number one and two in the NBA. And like, they were not number one and two in the regular season. They were like, you know, in the, the, ter- the teens or something that I think LeBron was top 10 and AD was in the teens. They both, you know, really upped their game and were performing at excellent levels. We need them to get up to that level again. Um, or somewhere close to that. They can't, this isn't just like, ah, you, you know, he's got his legs under him. It's got to be like, you know, it's playoff time. You got to go win. So I'm most concerned about that. And I think the short time frame adds to that concern. But I do think you bring up a good point with the chemistry and offensively is some of it. Defensively is some of it. I've been trying to pay attention to what, what does the floor look like from an alignment standpoint, from a spacing standpoint, from an action standpoint with AD and Drummond out there together? Because it's something that we've certainly heard them talk about a lot, being excited about because they played, I think it was in USA basketball on like the under 24 team or something like that years ago. Um, and and they were excited to translate that to this team and, and, you know, rekindle that chemistry on the court. And so I've been trying to see like, all right, you know, who's standing where, who's doing what, what does having Drummond on the court help AD do or hurt him or keep him from doing. And what I've noticed is just in general, we're either going to see Drummond post up and AD space at the three point line, or we're going to see AD post up and Drummond either be at the opposite elbow or the opposite dunker spot. And if he's starting at the elbow, he does a pretty good job of timing when AD is going to shoot and he'll slowly work his way down. He's going to keep high enough that his man isn't like a step away from helping. But as AD is going into his move, especially if it's like a turnaround fadeaway or something, he's going to time that and try to go get in position to rebound. From that standpoint, for those guys, I think it works pretty well from a spacing standpoint. It's when the ball gets kicked out and suddenly you've got two dudes kind of in that zone where problems start to arise. And because this team has Alex Caruso, KCP, Wes Matthews, these aren't guys that it's like really stopping them from their game. THT and Schroeder are the guys I'm keeping an eye on because it's taking away some driving lanes from them. And it hasn't been the the biggest issue in the world, but I'm going to monitor that moving forward. And once LeBron gets back, it's going to be important for him as well, because if the driving lanes aren't there, 
he's probably not going to force it. And then we're going to start hearing people say he's being passive and, and, and all that garbage again. So that spacing concern, I think, is, is a big thing for me. What have you seen from that pairing? And where do you think Drummond helps AD or AD helps Drummond? Because I think a lot of it might just be like one of them posts up, a little bit of help comes, they dump it off to the other guy, and then they have to you know finish quickly before the, the defense recovers. I think for Drummond, at least it's helped him like reduce his touches, which is can be a good thing. Um, I think it maybe helps him in. I, I don't know, man, I, I, I can't see how much he's helped him. Like, I'm trying to think about those two players interacting specifically. I guess in theory, if you did like a like a double high and had 80 pop, but 80s shooting has been really bad. Like he made that one three and that's it. And all the others just looked bad, too. It wasn't like they were just like slightly off. So if AD's shooting isn't going to even be to that average ability, they really do like clog things. But at least when AD's posting up to your point, Drummond can be an active offensive rebounder and he's gotten some offensive boards, but he's not like. I don't know. It's not like a Dwight in there or a JaVale even tapping things out. Yep. He's just not as um, got a nose for the ball as some of these guys. And mm-hmm. uh, and so and this might be all moot point, because to your point, if AD's having a hard time on the doubles, if LeBron is at the top instead of, you know, Wes Matthews or Ben McLemore, like those driving lanes are a lot more significant, you know, so Dr- LeBron can drive and then create an even better shot or get to the basket himself because like you said caruso west matthews kcp these guys aren't gonna get to the rim really by themselves anyway mm-hmm. and so with those guys down there the maybe the mid-range is is there but you're not gonna get all the way to the basket um yep. i don't know like i i don't really see it so another thing that i've been trying to think about and so my i guess my original concern with drum and 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 We've certainly seen LeBron and AD be out longer than originally anticipated, and what he brings has been more valuable in that time than where I think he'll add value now. And the question in, in what makes that either true or false is yeah, like yes or no, with AD back or with AD and LeBron back, does Andre Drummond now become a dump-off guy? Does he become a... A solely a put back and stand in the dunker spot player and if so i mean he's going to get some offensive rebounds he's going to get some of those three points in the putbacks he's been really inefficient at those even in la that's continued he's been really poor finishing dump offs he's shooting freaking like 57 percent on lobs this year um, like where he gets like, I'm not even counting the ones that he's the ones he's gotten his hands on. He's just missed dunks that guy, like my like why I wanted other players over him was because he's not that kind of guy. And now, given AD being back, are we seeing him pushed more to that role? Have, is that something you've noticed? I know it's really early, but I think I've seen a little bit more of that. And that concerns me. But at the same time, like you mentioned, we don't want him posting up a bunch. So it's it's a tricky, tricky dance. Yeah, I tweeted this out that I think he's used up about 90 percent of his usefulness uh, because during that stretch without both guys, he did lead the team to some wins and uh, some impact plays. But ultimately, his role 
his perfect role would be that what you just described. And unfortunately, he's not very good at that. Mm -hmm. He's not good around the rim. He's not good at finishing through contact. And also, like, on the other end of the court, he's a tire fire at times, completely lost. And one guy blowing rotations affects the entire scheme. And there's no way to recover because all of a sudden there's new rotations to cover the mistakes. And then it's full scramble improvisation mode. And, um, it's, it's, it's just really sloppy screen coverage. Like I, I don't know if you want to catch edge with Andre Drummond in the playoffs. We talked about he'd peel off, go to the corner. Cool. That's not working. Like that will get attacked over and over and people, you know, complaining about all these uh, role players blowing up against Lakers like Gary Trent and Dwight Powell. Mm -hmm. Dwight Powell didn't just have a random good game. Dwight Powell got schemed into beating the Lakers in a very specific yep. ways with lobs over the top, repeated ways over and over again. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't adjust. And a lot of that was due to Andre Drummond. And yes, Luca is a masterful pick and roll artist to get, you know, he'll. I love how he slows down his his put a guy in jail just to give the time to roll the guy to roll yep. like he, a lot of this is Luca. A lot of this is just any, like any pick and roll player good would would beat the Lakers. But a lot of it's drumming and specifically drumming. It's not a D being slow to come back on defense. Like to me, this a lot of this. is. Drumming. I don't think that 80 would have stopped most of those lobs. I don't think so. I do think Drum is hurting the defense, and I think his rotations aren't good. He's missing a lot of – like, he's just blowing assignments or, like, technically – like, from a technique standpoint, within the coverages, he's not doing a great job. With those lobs specifically where the offense is just taking advantage of that temporary four-on-three off-ball numbers advantage, and, and Dallas did a really good job with this where they'd have – one shooter way up high, so you just you know take them out of the play. So it becomes a 3v2. Two shooters at the corners, one lob threat, only two defenders. Pick your poison. You've given up a lob, you've given up a three. Either way, you've got two guards or wings that need to make those decisions. So either they're tagging that roll man hard and giving up an open three, or they're not able to get there in time and it's a lob, or they don't get there at all and it's a lob. And I don't think having Gasol or Trez or AD in Drummond's specific position would have fixed too much of that so i i don't know I, I agree with your sentiment i think in that specific instance i don't know at, at least with that example i don't i don't i don't beat him up too much i see people talking about like why is he in no man's land like that's just that's this that's the coverage that's how you beat the coverage and and i don't know i, th I just think that's the way it's going to be it, they have the top defense in in the league this year and when teams do take advantage of it that's kind of what that's just what it looks like. And I think it's more on for me, I think it's more on the guards and the wings not rotating well. And and then part of it is when that rotation does come and they do take away the lob, that's when, you know, Drummond not being able to then rotate to the next guy really hurts. Cause because that first read he's out of the play for, but the second one might be his guy. That's where I think his rotation uh you know, being slow to like flip his hips and like get out or know where to go, I think is really hurting him. And some of it's chem it, chemistry is not the right word. Some of it's like knowing the rotations and that's a system thing. And that's an experience thing in the system. Some of it's just like, he's making dumb decisions. 
trying to pull up his defensive numbers here really quick uh, just to get a feel for the team's performance when he's on the court. I, I, I saw something interesting. I was looking at um, while you're while you're pulling that up, I was looking at the how well the Laker players are impacting opposing players shooting at the rim. So like, I don't know, let's say a guy is expected to shoot 60 percent, but he shoots 50 percent when you're contesting him. You know, that's that's pretty good. Um, that defensive field goal percentage for jump shots is meaningless um, in, in, in that's been studied. But we know like at the rim, it, it's, you know, real data. And looking at there have been one, two, three, four, eight different Lakers this year who have contested three shots at the rim or more per game. Um, we've got uh, Marcus Saul. When he's defending shots, players shoot 3% worse than expected. Montrose Harrell, they shoot 1% worse than expected. Against AD, they shoot about what you'd expect. Versus LeBron, they shoot 2% better than expected. Versus Kuz, they shoot 3% better than expected. And then versus Andre Drummond, they shoot 9% better at the rim than expected. And that, like, was eye-opening to me. That's not good. That's really hurtful. Jenna Schroeder's at, like, 11%, uh, plus 11%. So, like, just a little bit worse than Andre Drummond. Um, so that was crazy. And then D Damian Jones, no longer on the team. He was uh, minus 12%. He, in his short stint with the Lakers, was kicking butt in terms of just, just that one specific thing. So that, that's one of those, like, like, dang. Like, this guy's our starting center, and he's not, impact, he's not deterring shots at the rim. He's not d disrupting shots at the rim. And he's missing rotations, and he's not boxing out. You got to start – like – if it were if we picked this guy up at the beginning of the year, I'd have more patience with it, and I think these things are fixable, some of them. But at this point in the season, there's there's got to be little patience for it. It's either you know you fix it, or you're gonna have to end up sitting in some of these games because this this stuff matters. Yeah. So, perking the glass, pulling it up here. Um, so the lineup he's played the most with is Drummond. Keith, Kuz, KCP, Schroeder. That lineup is in 142 possessions, 113.4 on offense, 121.3 on defense. Is that bad? That's bad. Okay, next. Next, next second highest Lakers lineup he's been played in, which is actually Schroeder, KCP, Kuz, AD, Drummond. 68 possessions. 120 points per possession, 0.6 points per possession on offense, 109 points per possession on defense. Now, 68 possessions, I'm not going to read too much into that it's, 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 against the same team twice, right? So that said, that first lineup is not exactly the defensive juggernaut that you'd expect, but 121 is very bad. It's... And and I know the plus minus. I think Andre Drummond is is still positive. I th Harrison tweeted something about being one of like three players to have a positive, uh, you know, plus minus in the time since LeBron and AD have been out. But I I don't see I don't see how Andre Drummond can be consistently useful in the playoffs because look at all the t top down right Jazz nope. Not playing him against uh, Gobert. Not playing him against those shooters in that drop coverage. No, I like. I don't think he can catch edge effectively against that team. The ball movement. They'll they'll dance him off the court. The Suns. Okay, maybe the Suns. Maybe he can match up, throw a body against Aiton. Chris Paul is going to put him in all the pick and rolls. Chris Paul is going to dance that dude already. If you think Luca's going to get his way with him, like Chris Paul can too. 
Yeah, I don't see the advantage. He, I think he's more playable. I don't think he. I don't think you'd go into that series game planning to be like, ah, we we got Andre Drummond, and that's gonna like add value in a specific way against that team. So I I'm can just, see him not playing much there either. I can see it being yeah a a, a Achilles heel for them. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the Clippers? Do you think he matches up where they've been starting Zubach with Serge Ibaka out? Do they keep with Zubach? Do you like him against Serge Ibaka? I don't. I think that's a terrible matchup for Drummond. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a big fan of that either. So who else? The Nuggets. Do you like him against Jokic? He's got a big body. OK, maybe. No, I would rather have Marcus All in that. I, I would go because I wouldn't play Harrell whenever Gobert's or I'm sorry, not Gobert. Whenever Jokic is out there, I'd start with Mark as my primary guy. And then you you'd probably go AD small ball for a bit of those five minutes and then maybe Trez or Drummond against some bench lineups. So what's the team? What's the use? What's the lineup? You know, again, what's the and I know you this was your point kind of from the beginning, but that's why mm-hmm. I said I think he's used up 90 percent of his usefulness and it was useful for a free buyout guy. Very useful. But yeah. is Damian Jones, Tim, a better option for this playoff roster and just having that specific role and, and knowing what he is? I don't know. I'm, I'm more open to that idea than I was before, even though I think Andre Drummond is a better basketball player. I think Andre Drummond is a better basketball player. I think of those two, Drummond was and would have been more valuable than Jones from when he was picked up until today or a couple days ago, maybe even until LeBron gets back. But from right now, when when AD got back, possibly, and for sure once LeBron gets back, I would rather have a guy I know can be a strong rim protector and a strong lob, just dump-off finisher guy because that's what there's space for given who's playing, how much they're going to be demanding the ball, what kinds of opportunities they're going to create for others. Like that's just an easier fit. Like if it's, if you remove Damian Jones's name and it's, you know, just the different archetypes of players, would you rather have a post scorer who has defensive question marks from a, you know, a screen coverage standpoint, or just a dude that, you know, can switch a little bit, can run some drop coverage, catch hedged. Okay. And, is a lob threat that is just going to finish the ball. I, I think that guy makes more sense to just plug in. He's not going to play every series. None of these guys are, but that's a different type of player than what you get with Gasol. And he's got some stronger areas in specific places than uh, Harold does. That might make you play Jones over Harold as well in specific matchups. So I don't know. Like I, I people, I, I think that for the folks who have listened to our podcast, they understand where we were coming from or where I was coming from with that discussion. I, I've also definitely seen people be like, what the hell are you talking about? There's no case at all that you should ever consider this guy or that guy. And like, they probably just didn't listen to the podcast. Um, but I mean, I think, isn't it a compelling case? Like this isn't me pulling yeah. random shit out of nowhere. Like, no. I think it comes down to like understanding the fit, the roles yeah. What's going to ha- like how it's going to play out. This basketball isn't just about stacking a bunch of whoever's the most talented together. In a lot of ways it is. But for your like fourth or fifth scoring option in a lineup, you don't want an on ball post score. That's, that's just not the ideal fit. And as long and, and I something I guess we should try to track is and I can track is once AD's gotten back, how do the play types for Drummond differ from what he had been doing before 
is does he become that dump off roll and cut big my guess is yes hopefully and i i don't think this is some magic thing where lebron plays around him and all of a sudden he's way better on defense but uh I don't know, maybe him yelling at Drummond every other possession, because there are times where Tim Drummond is standing there and so clearly like needing to rotate to some place. And mm-hmm. he is completely clueless of it, completely yeah. unaware. And this is something I talked about with uh, Dave Dufour. He was back on our pod, you know, back in the taking charge days mm-hmm. where they were doing the whole, oh, Lakers have top two players, but what three through ten is blah, blah, blah. And And I chimed in with like, look, this isn't a Lakers exceptionalism bit. I thought we'd learned our lesson after last year with this, because, Tim, to me, a better question or way to frame this is how many players do you have on your team who are in the perfect role to maximize their talents? Because a player, like you said, in uh, an inefficient or not ideal role for their skill set might individually be a better player, but it does not impact the winning, the plus minus, whatever you want to call it on -hmm. the court of furthering that coach and those that team's scheme. That's ultimately, to me, more important, having the most amount of players in the perfect role. And the Lakers have that for the most part. And Andre Drummond is just sticking out like a sore thumb because he isn't, and he hasn't had the time in the regular season to chop his game up the way we've talked about in the pod to leave out all the things we don't need and keep all the things we do. He hasn't had that time with LeBron and AD because the, the equation changes when LeBron comes back too. But so that's my thing. How, like he's not in the perfect role, even with AD coming back. You know, just one star back pushes Andre Drummond into the this is an ideal section. Yeah, it, but it's still, it'll, it's going to make him more efficient. Even if he's under, even if like he's doing more of what he's not as good at and his passing is marginalized and like he's not the best player for that job of, you know, the guys we were considering weeks ago. He's who we've got. And if... Th- at this point, if it's either he keeps playing the way he's played for the past several weeks without AD or he slides into that role that may not be the best for him, we still, I guess, kind of want him to slide into that role, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just less optimistic that it yeah. will happen in time for whatever playoff series we need it in. Do we, do we need him in the first round? Maybe, maybe not. Do we need him in the second round? Again, maybe, maybe not. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the answer to this is we shift up like we've always thought we would with Keith, with AD, with small ball centers, with, yep. you know, all these wings that we can fit Ben McLemore and Wes Matthews and KCP and THT iterations of those with AD at the five and LeBron at the four. Uh, you know, ultimately, I think it's still going to be what's going to take this team, you know, all the way if they end up getting there. Mm-hmm. I do think if the team does start running more set plays from <laughs> this is like the 14th time I've said this this year, more one four high or horns plays where the two big men are at the elbows. That's uh, you can run a, plenty of actions out of that that keep the floor spaced, allow either of those big men to be your passer facilitators, which both can do. Both can set screens, both can roll, and there's plenty you can do out of that that would match the personnel this team has. We saw the team go to some of that 
right before LeBron went out due to injury, and we haven't seen the team really dig into that much since. We also saw the team run. Remember, we'd run that one play, uh, or actually several plays that were similar, where like the team would have, uh, I think, wow, God, I forget how it started. I think there'd be like a UCLA cut or something, but there'd be a ball screen at the same time as Kyle Kuzma or KCP or Wes Matthews or somebody is running through the lane and then out to the corner off of one of those exit screens. So that's occupying a couple help defenders. You've got a shooter in the other corner, and then you're you're trying to open up either a drive, a lob, or that open three. Team ran that over and over and over again with tons of success, lots of points, high shot quality. It was great. It was working. It worked with the current personnel we have today, several weeks ago, and the team just has gone away from that. Those are the types of little things that, like, watching that game us versus Orlando and like Orlando's running some good plays. They don't have good players right now, but they're like making that most out of them and keeping themselves in the game. Whereas the Lakers look like they're underperforming their talent offensively based on how we're, you know, choosing to deploy those players from like an X's and O standpoint. So that's still something that's frustrating to me. And I don't expect to see a flip switched uh, the second playoff game start. I hope we see a ramp up, but I, I don't know if we should expect that to this point, given the, the coaching staff's background and what we've seen so far this year and last year and last year in the playoffs. More likely, we're just going to see them get more basic, run more, you know, just ball screens and post-ups and isolations and lean on that talent that they have and see how defenses are choosing to send extra help and then try to counter it. That's, that's if I had to guess, if they're going to go that route, stay the same or start running more sets, I bet they're going to get even more basic once we get to the playoffs. That's just what they did last year. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you're definitely going to see a lot more ISOs, uh, post ISOs from AD, LeBron, all of that stuff uh, here in the playoffs. But let's take a quick break and we'll talk a little bit more about the playoff scenario. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Tim. So as I mentioned at the top, Dallas did us a, a big solid losing to the Kings. Portland has been absolutely just free falling lately um, that we mentioned last week. So let's let's quickly talk about the last potential matchup that I think could happen now. The Lakers could fall to six. They are currently two and a half games up on the Mavericks, but the Mavericks now hold that tiebreaker. Yeah, if you look at these NBA standings or the Western Conference standings right now, 
I was telling you before we got on, what's funny is the Lakers could fall to six. And if the right kind of machinations follow around it, they could face the same slate of teams they would have gotten in the fourth uh, in the five spots. So, for example, the Suns right now are on the game behind the first place Jazz and the Suns on the tiebreaker, I believe. So if the Suns go to one, Jazz are at two. The Nuggets are right now one game in the loss column behind the Clippers. I don't know who has the tiebreaker there, but if the Nuggets move up to three, Suns move up to one. Lakers move to six, they they would face the, in the three spot, the Nuggets instead. And then the next round, they would face the winner of the Suns and the eight seed, basically. So you're still you're still, you know, I would love a Nuggets Suns one, two. I think that is the right teams to challenge the Lakers enough to, you know, get them to play good basketball, but not so much as to I think that I would expect either team to win in a seven game series. So is that what you're holding out for that? That kind of is this a seed you're holding out for is a certain matchup uh, like first round, second round that you would like to see? Uh, I think at this point you want to keep winning as much as you can i wouldn't bank on the nuggets overcoming the clippers although paul george just tweaked his ankle so that could play a role with them i think if you're the lakers you just got to play the best basketball you can at this point I, I don't think they're in a position where like if everybody were healthy and the team were kind of just you know figuring out how to position themselves you can toy around with this but right now i think you just need to get right I think there's too much the team hasn't been able to address and work through and refine from a process standpoint because their journey has been so choppy and inconsistent with COVID and injuries and, and all of those different things. You just have to play the best you can. Probably you're playing the Nuggets in that first round. And then if it's the Jazz or the Suns as that one seed in the next round, you, you, you take on that matchup. I, I think – and I put a Twitter poll out. Who would you least want to play of Utah, Phoenix, and the Clippers? And the Clippers, Clippers. won by a bunch. Yeah. And, and I think we agree with that. Um, assuming everybody's fully healthy and, and whatnot, among small recent injuries, not like Jamal Murray, things like that, uh, I think that still stands today. And so, I don't know. I'd worry more about just winning the, the most you can. But if to answer your question, I think Nuggets and Suns, if I had to pick – two of those four teams i'd probably lean towards playing those two agreed uh now that brings me to kind of to your point the last team we haven't really previewed that is a logical or possible uh matchup for the lakers in the first round is the clippers so if you want to kind of talk about in more depth what not wor worries you uh, you know the the matchup because again we briefly brought it up a couple of pods ago i think but it's the scoring wings, a la Boston, we just saw, you know, the Tatum Brown, that size, uh, speed, ability to create their own shot. And on the other end, maybe have enough bodies to throw at a LeBron. Those are I, I, I'm not confident, Tim, if the Clippers, if the Lakers draw the Clippers in the first round, that the Lakers would win. And that's the only matchup where on my, you know, worryometer, I'm an eight or a 10 or nine, because I think that maybe it's not 
likely, but I think it's definitely very possible that the Lakers don't have the ammo to play their best basketball against the team that matches up well with them. Now, with Serge Ibaka able to maybe match up with Anthony Davis as a small ball five with Rajon Rondo. You know, understanding how Frank Vogel and LeBron, they'll run their teams. It's not like the culture there is completely different. So, again, like I'm less worried about Rondo, the player on the court and more worried about Rondo, the scheme master off the court, relaying all this information to everyone else, making them better and knowing all of our ticks. Like it's really the ultimate betrayal because Mm -hmm. (laughs) Rondo's got the state secrets. Now, it's not, you know rocket science per se it's not anything the clippers wouldn't know without rondo but there's just another intelligent brain on the court too talking to guys after plays that's valuable and i think that kind of leadership is something that the clippers desperately needed and yeah i that's that's my case i'm probably at like a nine on the worryometer like i think the lakers could have beaten them last year i i and less convinced of that, given the volatility of the last few months and the lack of ramp up time, uh, if they were to face in the first round. Now, if you're talking second round, third, you know, Western Conference finals, I start to feel slightly better. It's just the first team, the first draw. You need somebody, like I said, is a good basketball team who doesn't have the horses i guess for lack of a better phrase but the clippers do yeah they have the right types of players and the right type of coaching to give the lakers a scare for sure especially in that first round if if lebron and ad are still like on the climb up and they're not where you know they're not at that peak playoff form yet this is not a team you want to play in the, the first round. Second, most efficient half-court offense, top five ISO offense, pick-and-roll offense, and post-up offense. Pick, well, pick like any the of them. They're the greatest three-point shooting team of all time right now, basically. They're crazy. They're, they're like one of the top— Like as a team? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're one of the best mid-range shooting teams, top five pull-up shooting team. They're just just really, really, really efficient. They run a lot of really good plays tactically they've got a really strong coaching staff um defensively they do a pretty good job and they have those scoring wings they have the Kawhi Leonard who's going to iso he can post up he posts he the leads this team in post ups um he's going to run the pick and roll Paul George this year is running more pick and roll than he ever has um they are going to put a lot of pressure on the defense and like you mentioned like Serge Ibaka is on this team to help stop Anthony Davis. He's not, if you, you know, he's not as talented as Anthony Davis. Sure. Sure. He's, he's maybe he's even, you can even say he's washed compared to his former self. The same way you can say things uh, about Marcus saw in those similar ways, but he's still good at those couple things. He's pretty good at. And one of those things is, you know, you know, in comparing him to a lot of other centers, at the top of the West, he's going to do as good a job as any of them. He's going to do a better job than any of those other centers at playing against Anthony Davis as a small ball five and try and, and having the mobility to switch. They switch a bunch with this, this roster with him out there. They don't do this as much with Zubats out there, but with Ibaka out there, they can be a completely different defense. So his health will be paramount for them. But assuming he's in there and he's playing and, Paul George is healthy. Kawhi Leonard's healthy. This is not a team I want to play early. 
if we end up playing them, we'll dig in way deeper and we'll talk about where they do have some holes in their game and how to stop their set plays and all of those sorts of things. But at, at that thousand foot view, it looks scary and I don't want to go down there. <laughs> yeah. And the matchup with Zubac and Trez off the bench isn't great. Um, there's a oh lot God, of like, that'd be scary. Do you start Drummond, even oh. though they're starting a Baca? And so, you know, what is it? Mark Keith Morris or Kawhi has to guard AD. And so there's a lot of different ways of, I think we do what we do. Zubach has played well in the starting lineup. So maybe that carries over. Like again, the Clippers are banged up right now, too, in a much less significant way than the Lakers because Ibaka's missed 20 plus games with back issues. Um, Patrick Beverly has missed significant time. Kawhi has been out for a week like plus. And, you know, even though Paul George just tweaked his ankle, he's mostly played most of the season. So they're mostly in rhythm despite missing some time here and there. So maybe that, you know, not cancels each other out, but gives you a little bit of an in or. I just think the Clippers have the the counters of in lineups too and flexibility with guys like mm -hmm. Terrence Mann able to come in off the bench and play some good defense and space the floor a little bit. So I think Ty Lue is a better coach than Doc Rivers in the playoffs. Yep. Um, I, I like the things they've done outside of like the Luke Kennard transaction, which I, I don't think has worked great for them. I, it's not like I'm watching a ton of Clippers, but, you know, he's he's somebody who doesn't scare me the way. Um, I don't know. He, he's just somebody who he's doesn't a, scare me. He's a spot up shooter. He's been efficient as a spot up shooter. He'll run some pick and roll. He'll do some handoffs and he's been OK in those. But he's mainly a finisher as a as a shooting threat. So he's not somebody offensively that you really scheme around and then defensively he might be someone you scheme around because he's not a good defender at all so overall he's been a net negative for this team from an impact standpoint and that's for a reason and in a playoff atmosphere he would be a weak link you look at and try to target and i i'd be willing to place a friendly wager that he gets benched at some point in the playoffs because teams are going after him defensively yeah, I don't think you would take that bet because you probably agree with me, I think. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, Tim, I only bet you when I know for 100 percent sure chance I will win. Um, What's your record against me? It's like like 18 and 0 or something stupid. <laughs> I think I'm like I've never and, beat. I think I'm nine and 0. I think okay. you did beat maybe maybe once, but okay. I think we both forgot from all the trauma. So <laughs> either way, I do not want to see the Clippers in the first round. I have respect mm -hmm. for them, for those wings able to make those kinds of tough shots despite good defense. Excellent role player, three point shooting can be deadly. Again, that Abaca piece able to mimic what they what we were doing last year in a way that they couldn't last year. So, you know, in a lot of ways, the surge is a big upgrade from Trez, and Trez is a big upgrade for us because we don't have the kind of scoring from that like JaVale Dwight position, but yeah. that suffers a defensive loss as well, right? Yeah, for the regular season, I'll think about it this way because because I've seen I, the way I've been thinking about it recently is this Lakers roster is so much better prepared to handle the stretch we've gone through than last season roster would oh, have yeah. been. If we had Avery Bradley, Bradley and, and yeah. Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee instead of uh, like THT in the rotation now, Schroeder and Harrell and there I mean there are some other differences but like those couple guys just the amount of scoring and playmaking 
maybe a little bit less playmaking, but the scoring you're able to get from those three dudes this year is just miles ahead of what those other three players would have given us um, in, in similar situations. So that's been really fortunate. I guess once you get to the playoffs, I worry about Tress. I worry about Drummond. These are the t- literally dead last and second to last among bigs in our basketball index database in terms of dudes who, from the regular season to the playoffs, drop the most in impact. Um, they've been the worst playoff performers, comparing them from the regular season to the playoffs of any bigs in our whole database. So hopefully some of the you know the environmental factors and scheme, scheme coverages and stuff oh, like that. Revenge series for Trez. Yeah, so let's hope that it gets a little bit better because if those guys both drop off a cliff, that's going to be not helpful, especially if Keith isn't hitting his threes. Because that's the other thing. If, if he's not hitting his threes at all, and right now he's not hitting his threes at all, that really hurts what this team's able to do. So I'm a little bit worried about that. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, I think the big rotation is very interesting because, I don't know, I think you can make some arguments for Trez against Ibaka. Um, Ibaka's not like a giant center, physically imposing. Like, Zubac can bully Harrell a little bit on the rebounding game. I'm worried maybe about Ibaka in, in the pick and roll popping with Harrell, but... I think Harold can do stuff and get, you know, get some of his shots against a guy like Serge Ibaka that maybe he can't against some of these other bigs. But where does Drummond fall in? Is this a good soul series? Like, fortunately, they have a lot of options. Mm. If Drummond starts against Serge Ibaka, well, they're losing game one. Yeah, that's where my money would be. And. And I mentioned this before about Frank adjusting like a half too late. I'm worried in this series or a series like in the first round for any of this, it takes going down like 2-0 for Frank to adjust. Like and a significant starting lineup adjustment that would pull Drummond from 20 minutes a night to DNPs or something the way Dravail mm-hmm. or Dwight did last year. For a, I think for a change like that, I, I'd agree it might take a little bit longer. I'll say so, I, and I, I was talking about this in the Discord. I think I think it was yesterday. It might have been the day before. Trying to just evaluate Vogel as a coach and like grading his offense, his defense, whatever. I, I broke it down like his in-game adjustment adjustments, and then his like game by game. Like he hasn't his staff has an off day to look at what happened and then game plan better for the next game. I think he does way better with that than with the in-game stuff. In-game, we've had a bunch of gripes. If you want proof of this, go listen to any of our like first dozen podcasts during the playoffs where we literally went over exactly what we're saying. Um, exactly, you know, this is what's happening. Here's what they could be doing differently. And then following up and saying, hey, they made that change. Here's how it's worked. Or they didn't make that change. Here's what's happened. Um, we'll be doing that again this upcoming season for the playoffs. But I think in-game he struggled. Game by game, been pretty good. Some not-so-great game plans, like the Houston game one game plan was just not good. And there was pretty good uh, – I'd say there was pretty strong agreement about that. And then it's kind of been washed away as, you know, the team wins the title and then you look back at these things and you forget that there were any struggles along the way. But that was one game plan I didn't particularly like. And there were some others along the way that were less bad, but that one was really poor. The Portland loss was more a shooting thing than a game planning thing. But for the most part, game by game, that game planning has been pretty good for Vogel. 
I think he approaches the regular season differently, clearly, uh, as far as it, like experimenting with things, right? Trying to get guys in rhythm. Wes Matthews has been a DNP for a couple games now. He's trying to get Ben McLemore, you know, kind of integrated into the offense. So like stuff like that. Yeah. It, regular season adjustments, in-game adjustments are not taken in the same seriousness as like a playoff, but you still want to see what he can do to like win every game, right? You still try to win every game. Mm-hmm. I mean, at I this point know. you need to look at the standings. So like why, and, and saying this now, like I think we maybe lose Orlando if we don't have Trez, but why sit Trez against Dallas? Because he, because that first game he had a bad game. So you don't look at film in the off day and figure out ways to, you know, attack Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba. You like, you can figure it out. We needed that game against Dallas. Like Mm -hmm. that was not only a poor coaching, not poor coaching, but I think they want that one back is what I would say. But it's also just really bad timing for it to happen at that time. So this is, I don't know. I'm not worried about Vogel. It's, it's more of uh, trying to understand like is an L but Ben McLemore is our leading scorer worth that win. Plus maybe he doesn't get eight, you know, off screen attempt, three point attempts. Am I to understand that you, sir, are criticizing Frank Vogel for taking out Montrose Harrell, who is like very visibly deteriorated and has played like he played like every game of the year or something like that. He, he was not playing all that well. He gave the poor guy an off day right after he was a minus 19, a team worst, replaced him with Mark Gasol, who had been very politely sitting on the bench, you know, waiting for his opportunity. He won a team high on the plus minus. The team still lost, but Mark played pretty well. Just, you know, keep him engaged, give him a chance, give Trez a rest day because he hasn't had many of those at all. And, and now he's right back with it. You're, you're saying that that's what swung the game right there? First of all, watching Trez against Orlando, slander. Watching Trez against Orlando, this dude, I don't want to. I'm not going to say doesn't need rest. This dude's a fighter, and to me, this dude's identity is what replaced has replaced Dwight Howard's energy, his effort, his identity on the court of being that energy guy. He's always been that since back in Houston, right? That's how he got into the league in the first place, and mm-hmm. then developed his skills from there. That matters. The team was lifeless without that. There were places on offense that the Lakers needed just even any boost of energy. I I don't know. I I'm not saying that's the reason they lost. I think it's a curious decision when, you know, two nights down the road, you have uh, a top four lottery team with a G League roster. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm all crazy here and I and I'm um, I'm defending Trez, but I do think he's uh, got some some downfalls we should be considerate of. Well, you're you're saying that Trez would have helped against Dallas by telling me what he did a couple of days later against a G League team instead of looking at what he did like two days earlier against the same Dallas team. That's 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 all I'll say. I think he brings that energy. I think he is an energy upgrade over Marcus Hall. I think he's a better put-back guy. He's going to win on the boards more. He's going to bring you what he brings you. I just thought he was a little bit worn down, which is why I 
tweeted out after that first Dallas game, like, hey, I wouldn't be surprised if Trez gets a day off. We see Gasol in there. It makes sense from a rest standpoint versus a keeping Gasol sharp standpoint. And, and maybe with AD coming back, Trez is less of those uh, post-ups, maybe wants some more spacing. It just could, it could make some sense. I wouldn't be surprised. And then they went with it. I do think Trez is an important guy, and, and thinking forward to the playoffs, you want that energy, and you want to be able to have that spark plug if things are drying up. And, and with LeBron and AD back, they hopefully shouldn't, but uh, it's, it's, he's the type of guy that with some of these other players on the roster, you need to have out there just to get those putbacks, to create that extra offense or um, be a good dump-off option because some of these other players just aren't. So I just want to say that you are defending a losing game plan in a critical seeding game against a fellow Western Conference opponent. So, yeah, you, you can throw that at me like like I'm just saying you defended a losing game plan, not only a losing <laughs> okay. game plan, but a second half in which they got blown out for lack of energy, focus and attention to detail. That's okay. not saying it's, it's a Trez fixes all that, but. Please defend the losing game plan, Tim. <laughs> you got me there. There is nuance in this. There is nuance in this. Why is the answer extreme in no Gasol, all Gasol, no Trez, all Trez? This is kind of, I think, my bigger point, I think, is what I'm trying to get at. I think it was a more platoon thing than a, than a tactical thing. I, before <laughs> you brought it up, I didn't think about that. I... I before and as it happened and up until two minutes ago, I just saw it as get Trez some rest because he looks tired and get Gasol in there because he hasn't played in a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I just... But if it does cost you a game, a that's, that L, hurts. Tim. We took a real bad L at a real bad time and looked real bad yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. So it didn't work. You know what didn't work as well in that game? The uh, predictable blitzing, which we talked about a month ago, two months ago. It worked for a half, and then Dallas adjusted. (laughs) Yeah. So it 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 worked worked until Frank Vogel didn't adjust in-game. That's true. But that's why – so – and that's why it makes it difficult to talk about these things because in theory, just about anything you can throw at a team can work. And in theory – just about anything you can throw at a team can also be countered and exploited. It's about the coaching to actually take those steps. And given how Vogel has coached in games from an adjustment standpoint, if I were a Utah or somebody going into a series, I'm throwing as many little quirky things at the Lakers as I possibly can and making Frank Vogel have to constantly... Yeah. be like solving little math problems left yeah. and right you, he can solve them but quantity if quantity of adjustments yeah of the quantity of it doesn't have to be the most comp like we're not asking right. him to do jedi math but yeah just force you know make it like make it the burden of the the other team to push that back to you to make that adjustment because there's some coaches and we saw this last year in the playoffs there were some coaches that like beat that first game plan they're not doing anything um, and that was even like game by game. Like we didn't see Portland really show signs of life for a bit in that series. Um, we saw teams like Denver that did push back and there was a good back and forth. Miami was that same way. The Lakers will push back game by game. But in game, if you beat that first wave, if you beat the initial game plan, 
you're probably playing with an advantage. It might be a small advantage, but it might be a couple points advantage at least for a quarter, maybe a half, maybe more than that. So it's it's the type of thing that worries me because, I don't know, it, it's just it's something I would look at and say, all right, I know they're a little bit slow, so we're just going to throw a bunch at them. I, I am saddened to have to redact all of this from the pod so that it's not public information because <laughs> I think that's very accurate. And actually, I think that's something you could say, throw zone out there or, you know, yeah. like prove throw, you can beat throw, it. Yeah, throw some weird. And I mean, on both ends of the court, too, because mm-hmm. obviously offensively, the Lakers <laughs> just kind of do stuff <laughs> like yeah. play superstar ball often and swing, swing, you know, open three. Uh, which obviously won them a title, but there's absolutely something to be desired there. And if you can make the coaches work and and change all these little things, not every adjustment you do will work, but I think it makes them think about them more. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's that, um, again, quantity over quality. And, and when you find the ones that work really well, then you can exploit them even better. Um, so, yeah, I think that's all really, really accurate. And at the same time, after games, you'll see these articles or videos and be like, look at this genius adjustment that Frank Vogel made. And it's like something really simple that the other team just didn't counter or going the opposite way. Like all of these X's and O's are relative, like in, in, in you can enjoy the game at all kinds of different levels. I don't expect everybody to like have these things in their back pocket knowing like, okay, well, if they do this, we can counter with that. That's for degenerates like you and me to, to worry about. Um, and we try to articulate it and share it and communicate it and, and hope you guys enjoy the game as much as you can. But at the coaching level, that's the type of stuff you just have to have in your bag. Um, I forget how I started this point. Oh, oh, the quantity. Uh, so so like it's only really when the coaches don't adjust that it gets recognized and people see this as some like genius move. That in reality, if the other team adjusted to, you don't see anybody talking about. Because unless you get beat by the same thing like six times in a row, that doesn't really yeah. click. And, and people's not, they're not going to write an article about it. Yeah. And I think a lot of these coaches like a Bud Budenholzer are dug in and saying, I'm not going to adjust. This is work. This will work. Yeah. This is an apparition. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of like stubbornness and wrapped up in this too. For yeah. the coaches. Whereas in the Miami series last year, we were having a ton of fun going over all of the different things that were happening. that You don't see other people talking about because it wasn't somebody like exposing somebody else or like something like that. It was like really quick. We're going to start with this. Okay, they counter. Okay, we counter. Oh, they, okay, they counter. And it ends up being a small part of the game because both teams held serve. But it was really imperative that both teams held serve because otherwise they could swing a game or two. Yeah. All right, Tim. So let's get out of here. This is the last thing I'm going to throw out to all the fans who've listened to the end of our pods because I need to know if we need to do this. Tim, last week, Lakers Twitter was wrapped up in Vivian Josh Gate. We I don't we were obsessed with this story texting back and forth. I think I told you a little about it. And then you went off into the deep end. We've done we've done research, quote unquote. We've looked at the facts. We have taken oh, you mean as the much nine page word document I have. Yeah. <laughs> But we need to ask the people if they would listen to a Vivian like conspiracy theory pod where we try and look at all the facts and like Tim does his Tim thing on it. Like you said, like nine page Google Doc. 
I don't know if I've like brought this up before, but like I, I mean, you guys know this. I'm really competitive, and I'm really like, <laughs> if I'm gonna dive into something, I'm gonna really dive in. Like my friends beat me in Madden a couple years ago, so I went and I learned how to read coverages from like real life quarterback clinic type stuff. With this, I heard about it. The text you sent me made no sense. Absolutely no sense. <laughs> Looking back, they make sense. At the time, I was like, what the hell is he talking about? This, it, it was, it was, it made nothing, like nothing made any sense to me. So then I dug into it and I dug deeper and I dug deeper. And then I like bought an account with a website that like the catfish TV show uses to look people up. And I dug even deeper and I've got like a list of suspects and I've cross referenced phone numbers and locations and emails and acquaintances and all sorts of crazy stuff to the point and then I like sat back for a minute and I was like holy crap I've done I've spent way too much time on this but I've learned a lot and I have a pretty good short list of suspects you did like some audio engineering I we've did. done all sorts of things it's it's we, I mean we're not gonna do it on this pod we're, we're no. at like an hour but I I would be willing to dive in um <laughs> I just it's it's such a deep, deep rabbit hole that I've had a lot of fun with and wasted a bunch of time on. Such a funny story, if at least for the laughs. There's like, I, I, you know, I'm a writer, so I am interested in any weird story that happens because the truth is always weirder than any shit we write and inspires me in, in all these crazy ways. But I have to ask, well, maybe we'll throw a poll up when this pod comes out. Do the fans want a Vivian pod? I'm serious. I'm talking like an hour long, like 90 minute pod where Tim does his Tim thing, tells you about the stuff he's looked into. I, I tell you about the stuff I've dug into, but if, like, I have to ask if anyone cares even more like 10 days later. So if you still care at us, we will do it uh, happily because we are obsessed with this more than most. I think yeah. it's, it's going to be less like what I imagine some other pods did where they just like, yeah. laughed a bit and, yeah. and like ah this is crazy no it's gonna be like investigative like all right like, here are the facts what Here's numbers what we know. do the brazil phone numbers you know begin or end you know stuff like that like what i don't know i what does the wavelength look like of this guy's voice compared to the detuned vivid like we seriously did some of this stuff so add us talk to us we didn't we didn't do it last week. You know, we like life happens. Tim, Tim got all vaxxed up. So I got all vaxxed up and I was sick for a couple of days. I also wanted to pump the brakes because I didn't want to like do the pod when it was like a frenzy and then look back and be like, oh, man, like I don't feel good about what we said. Just throwing right. out like suspect names yeah. and having people like gone after. I want to make sure we frame it the right way. And I think we're at a better level headed, you know, perspective uh, to to present the information. Exactly. Now. So, yeah, yeah get no, at us. Let us know. We're not going to do 90 minutes on why Josh Toussaint's like a weirdo. No, no, no. Like, that's not the kind of discourse we would have. So please add us. Maybe we get like some voicemails, like something you guys can send, like your theories and do a segment. I don't know. This just like is hilarious and weird and fascinating to me on like multiple levels. And it has nothing to do with ba the basketball side. <laughs> yeah, I have an ask. If anyone has suspects, they think we should look at. Let us know, because so far in the story, there have only been a handful of like involved people. You've got, you know, Vivian, her themselves. I don't know. You've got Josh. You have Josh's friend, Walid, who was on a video and, and tweeted a good bit in defense of Josh. You have that chumzilla guy who was, uh, you know, found the catfish years ago 
you have uh, it's big kings, kings um and like that's really it so like it's hard to and and then there's the potential there's a huge potential that it's just someone we're not familiar with at all but if there is someone you know lurking on the periphery that could be involved and you have some reason to believe that maybe we're missing something please let us know so if we get enough response hopefully we'll do it but until then appreciate you guys and uh let's enjoy this last couple weeks of lakers regular season talk to you next time everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.